Hey everyone, welcome to Bill Don't Lie. It is a Monday morning here in Southern California. I just got back from WrestleMania. Wow, what an event. WrestleMania 31 lived up to the hype. And there wasn't even much hype because I don't think people were expecting much. But I thought this was one of the best five WrestleManias uh, that I've seen. And I've seen all of them. Uh, But that's not why you're here. You're here for basketball talk. We promised in the iTunes description that we'd have experts, we'd have ex-players and coaches, and we'd have buddies with no credentials whatsoever. Here's one of them. Joe House, how are you? That's my corner. Yeah. That is my corner. Buddies with no credentials whatsoever. I would never have a buddy with no credential whatsoever on before you on Bill Don't Lie. You were the Amen. first well, give, one. Give me some, uh, give me some ground rules now. I want to know uh, one, one important thing, for instance. Yeah. Is this going to be a free-flowing conversation that occasionally touches on mature subjects? Oh, always. And as oh, I, okay. and just like the other podcast, my phone's going to go off in the background. I'm not going to do anything about it either. So we got that going. <laughs> and what about um, the weather? Did you talk about the weather yet? I did. I said it was a sunny day. So we, oh, got, we got all that. There's, it's a sunny day in Jamaica. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, you're in Jamaica. That was right. good. And I Has had there the opposite. Been? Hey, hey, uh, I've heard good things about Jamaica. Has there been an international Bill Don't Lie yet? No, this is the first one. Nice. This is great. Uh, this is why you should have buddies without credentials on. So the old the old Joe House wouldn't have gone away during the uh, during the NCAA basketball tournament. I just want to point that out. Well, the old Bill Simmons wouldn't have gone away during the NCAA tournament either. I know. Well, I don't really like college basketball that much anymore, but this turned out to be an awesome tournament. And as always, I feel the same way about college basketball that I do about the real world. It's a feeder system to the sport that I care about. Uh, the real world is a feeder system to the the challenge. College basketball, a feeder system to the pros. Towns really showed me something in the uh, in the Notre Dame game, which which um, was the classic example of the. This happens in college where you have the big favorite and and those expectations, and all of a sudden the kids look like they're eighteen and nineteen and twenty years old, and the, and the pressure and all that stuff. And Towns came through. Did you see that game? I did see that game, so that is my only regret. We are now at the point in the tournament where the games are good, and we're seeing a lot of teams with kids with NBA talent. Uh, yeah. So this is exactly the right moment to start watching games from beginning to end. I saw both of the um, Wisconsin-Arizona uh, game and the yeah. Kentucky-Notre uh, Dame game from beginning to end all the way through. Enjoyed very very much both of them and yeah. um really 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 impressed with town yeah it's so i i'm still sorting out my feelings on this draft and, and i swear this is going to come around to an nba conversation I, I don't want people to feel like they've spent their money wrongly incorrectly even though this is, <laughs> podcast is free but um i think we know what towns is for the most part and we know what okafor is for the most part okafor is just going to be a great post-up player i don't know if he's going to bring anything else to the table i mean he might learn to do other stuff i've seen him face the basket i feel like he has an eight to 12 footer oh yeah, yeah i'm not i'm not talking about that i'm talking about like is he somebody that will be able to protect the rim is he somebody that will be able to defend the best bigger player on another team we haven't seen that it looks like even though he's a totally different player um and is built differently they almost like how brooke lopez has succeeded in the pros He's a okay. specific skill. He needs to be double teamed. That's what he's good at. 
He'll have nights where he'll go for 30, 35. He can score with either hand. I That, to me, is his worst-case scenario. And I think he could do that right away. Like, let's say the Knicks drafted him. Yeah. I feel like they could post him up next year, you know, and he would be I, I love uh, his, foot hand, his footwork and both hands work. He has uh, what, what looked to me to be um, very soft uh, around the rim with both hands. Uh, and kept, you know, and it, it's it's tough to get a read in college because the kids uh, defending guys with size like that, um, anybody who who is ambidextrous, they have to guess which, which side he's going to go to. And so it's why I felt like I was watching Towns get so many easy ones. Uh, right. The, his defender was trying to guess whether he was going to go left or right, and, and uh, you know, the, each time the kid was cooked. His defender was cooked, but I, I I like very much the footwork and the hands. And that that's an immediate translation to me. So, I think people thought Okafor's short thing skill was kind of a trump card in the Okafor in the uh, Okafor versus Towns thing early on. But people that I talked to and and respect were were telling me like you got to wait to the tournament. Like Towns is kind of coming on. He's a better all-around player right now, and he's a better offensive player than he showed. That team has a lot of, you know, the team just has so much talent. It's really tough for somebody to stand out. I, I, I kind of feel like Towns might need to. He might have pole position right now. Oh, I think for me. I think he, I think he does have pole position uh, um, for for two reasons. First of all, for the reason you just described. Um, it, it does seem like we barely scratched the surface in terms of what he's capable of. If he's sort of the, the go-to guy, he has more, I think, games this season where he's scored under double digits than over double digits. But yep. the thing that, that uh, is also the case with Towns is there is a maturity thing. I read a funny um, quote from one of the Harrison uh, twins that they used to, that early in the season, they were calling him Carl Kardashian. Uh, oh, that's funny. He was not um, responding well to, to, you know, being fouled and uh, wanting calls to go his way. But they yeah. said everybody is now um, giving him credit for showing that, that kind of maturity and, and a little bit of emotional stability. And they all recognize that he probably got hit on a half dozen of those um, easy baskets he had, and, and they didn't call a foul, and he was man enough to go ahead and finish. So... That this draft's starting to shape out a little bit because um, Justice Winslow, by the way. Yep. What happens there? Titus Titus has been pushing Mark Titus, who writes for Grantland, who's done an excellent job during the tournament and has a very good column up today. If you missed it, um, he's been he's been kind of pushing the theme of why not Winslow for number one. Oh. Like why not? The NBA has grafted, has gravitated toward this era where perimeter guys are the most important guys in the sport. And you just go to like just look at all the MVP guys right now. The only guy who's plays even close to the basket is uh Anthony Davis. So well, and you wouldn't say that, that the Knicks are all set at any position, and you wouldn't say that the Sixers are all set at any position, although the Sixers you'd probably want more of a perimeter kind of guy than than a backcourt guy. Oh, we know what the Sixers are going to do. 
as part of the same hinky Ponzi scheme as Rafe Bartholomew called it. We know what the Sixers are going to do. What, they're Emmanuel Moutier waiting. No, they're Moutier waiting to happen. Yeah, okay. Well, that's fine. That An makes 18 year old, eighteen year old possible franchise guard who might need three to four years to develop. Sounds great. <laughs> Send your season ticket money now. It really is alarming. <laughs> I, I, uh, you and I had this conversation. I think on a podcast a couple of years ago when the crazy Russian bought the Nets and immediately yeah. decimated the team. I said, you know, that guy's got so much money. He should offer the good people of. Uh, um, you know, New York, New York, New Jersey, free tickets to the entire season for for yeah. what, what they're they're offering. I mean, the Sixers ought to offer everybody, you know, two free years of of season tickets the next two years. So, the, just quickly with the NBA draft, interesting subplot here. The Lakers have fifty three losses. They're nineteen and fifty three. Uh, Orlando has fifty two losses. They're twenty two and fifty two. The Lakers pick is top five protected. Um, if Orlando's smart, they won't win again this year. If the Lakers are smart, they won't win again this year. But they have like, you know, they, they like they're three and t- three and seven in their last ten games. Like they'll look competent from night to night. If the Lakers get into that five spot and they get jumped by one team behind them, um, they lose their pick. It goes to Philadelphia. So if so, the Lakers have fifty. They have eight games left. They need to go zero for eight with these last eight games. They can't win another game. You just can't. I guess they have they have three less wins than Orlando, so they're probably pretty safe at number four. But um, but you have New York, Minnesota, Philly, and the Lakers are your are your probable top four unless somebody jumps them. Um, I, I have the Lakers to, at having ten games left. Don't they have ten games left? They played 72 Yeah, because so I can't add. You're right. The Lakers have 10 games left. Orlando has eight <laughs> games left. I looked at that. Yeah, I'm old. Uh, yeah, so I assume the Lakers would try to take somebody who was a little more ready now, right? It does seem like it because that, that was definitely the direction they went um, with the pick, the Kentucky kids, this most recent Right, time. so, you know, they have Randall coming back next year. Yeah. They have – we're guessing a top four pick, maybe fifth. One last year, Kobe, and a ton of free agent money. Right. And uh, if they get to keep their pick this year, then it becomes top three protected next year, which makes it much easier to lose. So my guess is that they're going to go all in and try to get two big free agents next year. They know the cap's going to go up. You can spend the money this year, and then you have even more money next year to get somebody else. Um, so in my head, I'm thinking Okafor, Okafor, Okafor. I like, why isn't, what's wrong with Okafor? We've been calling everybody with that last name Okafor the, for, for years now. No, I, I hate when, when I have to, anytime I, it's left up to the person to do the pronunciation correctly, correctly, I'm going to lose. Uh, Okafor Towns, I'm guessing they would jump at either of them. I agree. Moody is too far away. I agree. I don't see them doing that. And uh and Winslow is like an interesting X factor for them. So to me it's it's either Winslow or Collie Stein is is the right selection for the Lakers. So do we think Collie Stein's that high now? Just I was so impressed by his defensive instincts. I just think he, right. he is uh 
a guy that's immediately ready to play NBA-level defense. He's a project, (laughs) capital P, on the offensive end, but... You know, guys that can defend, you can you, you can help them find offense. Red, he can defend five positions, which he, I mean, I don't know if he can defend five positions in the pro, but we've already seen him uh, defend five in college. Yeah. So if you think about, like, how, how much of an impact Draymond Green's had on the Warriors because of his ability to kind of go all over the place and, and kind of solve whatever problem you have defensively. Um. I think that bodes well for Carlos Stein. You know what's interesting? It, I think if the Celtics had promised him they would have taken him at 17, he would have come out last year. Wow. From what I heard. Word in the street. Word That's in the street. That would be a good guy to have on that team that the Celtics are building. Well, you know my plan for the Celtics, right? I want us to take all – I just want us to load up on Kentucky dudes and and kind of become Calipari East – Sure. For when Anthony Davis is a free agent, I think oh, that's the best like plan it. we could have. Sure, I like that. We make Worldwide West a special assistant to the uh, to Danny Ainge, uh-huh. and we just start loading up on more and more Kentucky guys, getting ready for for AD. Who do you have now? Well, James Young. <laughs> that's, I guess that's a start. To start, <laughs> <laughs> need a few more. Need a few more, but we got one. <laughs> So, uh, so anyway, uh, who's the who's the four? Oh, Winslow, and then it seems like it it tails off a tiny bit. Yeah, I agree. But with who that. knows? Like that, who knows that poor Zingus, um, from foreign country that I can't remember right now. Uh, maybe that guy climbs in. Maybe I know D'Angelo absolutely Russell. nothing about him. I, maybe I know, D'Angelo I just Russell. Know that his first name is Chris Tapps. Yeah, Chris Tapps. No, that's not. A, that doesn't bode well. But I remember. Way back when, you and I making fun of Dirk Nowitzki's name. Well, I look. You're, I, I'm, I'm um, foreign player shy. After the experience I had with Jan Vestley in the six hole, <laughs> it's not you know, fair. I just, I just feel like I'll never have a good read or good feel for it, and I just don't, should shouldn't say anything about any incoming foreign player. I just see guys like Jerry and Grant and. Uh, even the, the God, the crazy performance Sam Decker had on on Saturday, I loved it so much. Those yeah. are guys like, oh, I I know who they are, I know what they do. Kaminsky, right? Yeah, I think D'Angelo Russell and Winslow are the only two that could climb into the top five. Yeah, sure. Right yeah, I'm not talking about any of those guys climbing in. You're, I totally yeah, yeah, agree. I'm just, I'm just saying, like, for, yeah, for second tier. I don't know. I mean, you know, the, these guys do workouts. Like D'Angelo Russell going to a workout and do, have like the famous Penny Hardaway workout, and all of a sudden teams are moving around trying to get him. Yeah. Um, hey, Sam Decker, Titus brought this up in uh, in his column about the uh, the rule of comparisons where you can only do same color. So Sam Decker, everyone's comparing him to basically every white guy who ever existed. <laughs> um, but he didn't mention Matt Harpring. Oh, there's a little. I think he's potentially a better offensive player than Matt Harpin, but kind of the same body type, right? Definitely same body type. Uh, the only thing I feel like Decker might be a hair more athletic. Like he could play some defense. Oh, he is. Okay. Right. Yeah, I was thinking Matt. I was thinking either Matt Harpin 2.0 or Rich Man's Matt Harpin. I haven't decided All right, I like yet. Rich Man's Matt Harpin. Sure. Yeah. I do. Like, I mean, that the, the range is comparable. Harpin was a more polished offensive player in college. 
Right. When he came out of college, I think we all thought he was going to be better than he turned out to be. We still had, you know, how long was his career? He was solid. Yeah. He played for like 10 years. Started yeah, for I would the, look at, one yeah, of the AI I, I, teams. If we're doing these white guy comparisons, Austin Crozier, you know, could be a ceiling. That guy oh. had a long career. Well, you know, I like to go the other way. I always like to cross cross yeah. racial comparison. It's one of, of my favorites. That's why I was really excited about Okafer and Brooke Lopez. I really went off the map with that one. Uh, so last thing we should – just last uh, college thing. Yeah. So this guy Darnell Valentine on Michigan State. Yep. Denzel, by the way. I mean Denzel. Yeah. I called him Darnell Valentine because Darnell Valentine played in the late 70s, early 80s. Okay. Yet another old guy moment for myself. We um, are two middle-aged white guys. So I'm not doing any pick. cultural misappropriation. I'm not doing Yaman or Irie or any of that stuff. Mm. So Stay away from that. He's a second-round pick. According to Draft Express, he's like in the 40 range. Uh-huh. Too small. Doesn't really have a position. I feel like I've seen this play before. I've heard it before. Guy, I've heard some of those complaints. Yeah, I feel, I feel like I watched this play with Draymond Green like three years ago. And then watched him fall into the late 30s. And uh, if if the criticism for somebody is that they're two inches too small and that's all you can come up with, then you're on my radar at this point. Because we've seen that. That is the recipe for stealing somebody who goes 12 to 15 spots too late. One comp and, I saw that I liked um, that I thought I think holds some water is Danny Green. He's virtually the same size as Danny Green. He's like in three-quarters of an inch shorter and maybe yeah. like three or five pounds heavier. Right. But he can make – right. That makes sense because he makes threes. He's yeah. made a lot of them this year. I just think he's tough. And I like those Michigan State kids in general. Like you draft a Michigan State kid, you kind of are getting a certain type of kid. It does you know, seem like that. Adrian Payne's had some good games this year. Yeah, we. I'm not giving up on him. I thought it was weird that Minnesota gave up a first round pick for him when he was in the D League, but um, <laughs> it just you seems didn't like, like that. You think Minnesota made a mistake? Yeah, that was weird. But the thing in is, in terms flip, of the comp, flip, flip Saunders traded uh, Kevin Love for Andrew Wiggins, so he gets to make like ten bad trades in a row now. Nobody can say anything. That's a good point. But uh, I just like the Michigan State kids. Me too. I think they're just tough. I think Draymond, the success that Draymond's had. And when you look at the stuff people said about Draymond coming out of college and what he's doing now should make people rethink the Valentine thing. And I really hope he falls into the second round. I hope the Celtics take him. And I, ho- and I hope people measure him and say he's too short. Jalen was like, yeah, too short. Not going to make it. Like, so wow. now Jalen and I have another bet on this. So this is like oh, our 90th boy. bet. Yeah. Um, but uh, I don't know. I just like him. I, I think you can – it's. I mean, we always talk about this. It's easy to overreact with college hoops, especially in the tournament. That's right. And that's what I know we I've do. I've had some misfires. Yeah, but that's what we do. But I think the one thing you can learn is the competitive competitiveness, toughness thing. You can I, just see it with certain guys. That's in those Michigan State kids. Yeah, it translates. We know yeah. it translates. We've yeah. seen it. So, um, but by the way, I think as a I, I realized this probably a couple of years ago, and then it gets reinforced every year, and then I forget. Um, I think Izzo's my favorite college coach. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like, if I had a son, 
If I had a son who was like a, a McDonald's All-American and all the different coaches were coming after him, depending – like I guess it would depend on what type of position they had. Yeah. Or what what type of position he he was or whatever and, and what kind of offense and all that stuff. But I just feel like you can't go wrong sending your kid to Tom Izzo. It it, it does yeah. seem he's absolutely been successful at creating a um, reputation for himself of not just giving kids basketball values and basketball skills, but it does seem like you get some character also along with it. Which kind of makes you yeah. feel, feel good as a as a parent. He raises he raises uh, tough basketball players who overachieve, who play in big games because they always do well in the tournament, and just seem to be prepared for life afterwards. Yeah, I mean, it's not like every single kid um, is going to come out and not have any missteps. I mean, Zach Randolph did play for him. Yeah, but you know. It does seem like there's a type, there's a there's an Izzo type of kid. I I'm going the other way. I think he kept Zebo in school. Okay, that's a great uh, point. One other guy I like is, uh, and I know he's going to end up falling ten spots too late, and I I still believe in him as Harold on Louisville. Who I think, Montreal Harold. Oh, Montreal Harold, got it. I think he's going to rebound in the pros. Okay. I just do. I just think like his worst case scenario, he's an energy rebounder off the bench who's going to have a PER that seems too high. He'll have, he'll have like he'll be like ninth in PER. Nobody will be able to understand it. Like how's this guy ninth in PER? He plays fifteen minutes a game. Yeah, it it. <clears throat> I don't have a feel for him yet. His worst case scenario would be Thomas Robinson. But I think I think he's tougher than Thomas Robinson. Isn't that, is. That's kind of a middling scenario, isn't it? Well, if you're getting if you're drafting him seventeen, eighteen, like that's okay. probably like your average outcome, right? There you go. Right. Good. Okay. That's Was fine. there anyone else you liked? No, and and I uh, have even less of a feel um, for this draft than, than kind of normal uh, because of there's a, there are, the. Uh, Forecast is for you know three or four or five um, players who play foreign right. uh, That's leagues tough. or you know foreign origination, and so I just don't have any feel for it. That's why I didn't care if the Celtics like if they make the playoffs. Um, I don't. I don't. I, I, I'm not convinced that we can't get as good of a player at 15 as we would have gotten at 11. You know. Oh, like I, I totally agree. Maybe even at, at like eight. Hey. Do you want to make fun of the Knicks with me? <laughs> I'm always happy to make fun of the Knicks. It okay, feels like good. keeping on now. I mean, what is there to say? Let's do it, though. Well, I think it's funny that, you know, the Knicks fans are in total denial. I have uh, multiple Knicks fan friends. And <laughs> they range from either hopeless to in denial to, no, it's going to turn around this summer. What does in denial mean for a Knicks fan? Let me understand what you're talking about here. In denial means people who thought Phil Jackson was going to have an impact. People who don't – people who think that there's a world where Jim Dolan can own a successful NBA team that succeeds year after year. I would say those people are in denial. Wouldn't you say it's, it's just impossible to have a perspective at this point so far in terms of the tenure? 
How can you possibly know Jackson? what the Knicks are, are, are going to be under Phil Jackson? Well, let's just look at what he's done. He hired <laughs> Derek Fisher, who is one of the five worst coaches in the league. But isn't he in there, a, a, a fail-fail situation? Isn't the point to fail, and he's the perfect person to fail? Well, if context? you want to fail, you know what you should do is you should run the, uh, you should run the triangle, an <laughs> offense that was created uh, a million years ago and, and peaked in the 1990s before people shot three-point sh- shots and played with pace. You know what offense I don't want in 2015? The triangle. It's it's antithetic to everything that's happening in basketball. It's the dumbest offense you can run, unless you have a transcendent player, play, you know, running it. They didn't have an, you know, first of all, they gave away Tyson Chandler. Like if they you're did. just going to be like, oh, Phil hasn't done anything. I mean, it's like no, he he actually really screwed up the Tyson Chandler trade, which he's for some reason nobody ever mentions. Mozgov fetched two first rounders. Right? Mozgov pitch. But look, that those those two trades happen at two different points in time. The thing that the, the criticism don't, is correct for the all, purpose of defend, like why did they trade, trade him? Huh? What? Why they trade him when they did? The timing yeah. is the thing that deserves the criticism. Okay. Why did they trade him when they did? I don't have an answer. Why do you trade him when he has the least amount of value he's going to have? You basically trade you traded a quarter for a nickel and four pennies, basically, was that trade. And if they held on to him, they should have known, you know, he's in a contract year, his, his, or he was in a contract year when they were thinking about trading him. Um, not that expensive of a salary. And you have all these contenders and you have all these teams that had expiring contracts. Like, there was no way they weren't going to do better than that trade if they would waited five to six months. Like, that was a complete misunderstanding of how the league works. They just panic traded him, and they panic traded him for a reason, because they were worried Carmelo wouldn't resign if Tyson Chandler was there. I know that a hundred percent, because Tyson Chandler ripped CAA and Carmelo CAA, and that made Carmelo mad, and then it became a thing. So they gave him away. Um, they also gave away Iman Shumpert with J.R. Smith for nothing. Well, th- that was, those is, two trades happened at two radically different times uh, in the season, with with you know obviously. You know, altering trajectory on the fly, uh, being the dynamic on the Smith and Shumpert thing, right? But they had options with Jerry Smith. A, is a failure, huh? They they could have they could have just stretched them out. You don't have to give them away. What they give them away for? If you want to get rid of Jerry Smith, just stretch him out and get rid of him. Well, he like don't give up Iman Shumpert just to get rid of Jerry Smith. What the hell is that? That's what they did. I know. That's what. That's what it is. All right, so they had two assets that they literally got nothing for. They got nothing. And if anything, they got stuck with Jose Calderon's contract, which they couldn't trade last deadline. It was curious that they couldn't move that. That, Nobody that wanted was it. kind of funny. He's playing terribly. And then you have this coach who's running a triangle who's a mannequin who doesn't move on the sidelines, just sits there, just sits there with his arms crossed, stands there with his arms crossed. Like they could have had any coach. They almost had Steve Kerr. I don't think there's any – well, that – Talk about uh, uh, avoiding catastrophe. Then I don't think it matters Carmella. who the coach of the Knicks uh, was going to be for this season. Well, imagine if Steve Kerr took that and didn't take Golden State. It, it, it's unimaginable for Steve Kerr. All right, so here are the Knicks' assets right now. They, they're they going to have a top five pick. 
they have cap space and they have Carmelo Anthony who's coming off knee surgery and he's past his prime now. He's past his peak. He's been in the league. This will be his next year is his 13th season. 13 seasons coming off knee surgery. And then they're going to throw in some rookie and they're going to try to overpay a couple free agents so they can be more competent. I don't know. And you got Phil Jackson. I guarantee Phil Jackson like isn't going around at all the regionals the last couple of weeks, right? I bet he's not at the D League playoffs checking out talent. I'm I'm sure he has emissaries out there. All I can say is what you've just described is the recipe for a um, a dish that I am not inclined to eat, which just, is really saying something. And I don't see in this day and age how anybody can say that big markets matter. I think out of all the teams, I think LA matters a little bit because of just being living out here and, you know, the celebrity part of it and the business part of it. I don't know if like, I think if people feel like the Knicks are just going to keep losing. No, that's, this is your Boston DNA. New York is still, still a place. This is your, your Boston DNA won't let you. New York is still a destination. It's a destination. And 11 times out of 10. It's a destination, but it's not a destination if people feel like it's a hopeless situation where you can't win. And I think they, they've hit that point. I'm not sure, right? It, it looks like a rebuild. How is it any different from what Philadelphia is doing? They've won one playoff series since Jim Dolan took over, basically. It's not like, good. I think they've won one playoff series this century. They, but this it's is not way the beyond a rebuild. Trying, right? They, they, huh? That the team that with Amari and Mello and uh, the completely unexpected, reinvigorated um, uh, Jair Smith. It, it, yeah, I mean, yeah, they won one playoff series, and then they for lost thirty that seconds. They, the was, they won forty nine games that season. Congratulations! That's the <laughs> highlight of their century so far. That's that's true, but that's hope. I mean, that you know, it can happen pretty quickly. I don't think so. All right, let's say they get Kevin Love this summer. And let's say they draft happen. let's say they draft Towns. They've Kevin Love, Towns and Carmelo. You like that team? Where am I going with that team? I like the idea of going to see that team cuz it's so interesting. I don't like that team for the for the idea that they're going to win a lot of basketball games. Hmm. Calderon's still there? Has to be. I would trade Carmelo this summer if I were them. I, I'm not I've, normally a fan of trading superstars, but if you want to do this, to do it correctly, you move Carmelo for assets and you do a full – you basically try to do what the Celtics just did. I totally and agree with that. I, I just think you use your top five pick. You use your cap space. You make some smart bets on younger players that you try to get at a slightly better price than they're worth, and you do it slowly. But they, I don't think they will. I think that they're going to try to see that. That kind of move gives the impression that there was uh, somebody sitting at the helm here who um, is playing chess, right? That has a long view about uh, the, about the prospects for success and the kind of team you're, you're trying to build. A, a mellow trade, I think, gives off that smell, right? Rather than the smell that they're smelling right now, which is feces. Um, <laughs> that is a bad smell. The Tyson Chandler trade tells me that that your theory is not accurate because <laughs> anybody who knows anything knows that they could have done better than that deal. It's hard. It's it's 
it's a tough one. To, it was tough to comprehend when it went down, and it's still not not easy to understand. It's always amazing to me when people don't realize sometimes that somebody's going to have more value than they do in the moment. And I think Flip Saunders gets a lot of credit because he could have. I can't believe I just said that sentence, by the way. But he could have flipped. He could have panicked and traded Kevin Love for Boston's poo-poo platter offer that I was hoping they were going to take, right? Like here, here's a good Brooklyn pick. Here's our here's the Marcus Smart pick. Here's some expirings. Give us Kevin Love. And to his credit, he said, "You know what? I think I could do better. I'm not going to trade him right now. I think the market's going to evolve." He was kind of probably secretly hoping for that Wiggins pick. And that trade he made for Kevin Love was one of the better trades anyone's made. It's going to work out terrific. All right. Um, your thoughts on Kevin Durant and how Oklahoma City handled his broken foot? Well, I'm, I feel torn. I saw that you criticized specifically Scotty Brooks. Uh, oh, this was in a private email thing we were doing. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> That's all right. You, you criticized Brooks for playing uh, KD. And... In a private email to you. <laughs> this is going to get picked up in a sports blog now. Simmons' private email thrashes Brooks. <laughs> anyway, well, you're on record as criticizing the organization for, for the way they handled KD. This is the point you're making, you've made before, you're making now. So what's the difference? Um. Well, I, I was just operating from 40 years of NBA history that said don't rush somebody back who has a broken foot. The and problem, they rushed them back, whether they the want pro- to admit it or not. Think about all of the competing pressures that are coming from all of the the um, you know, the motivations that the, the, the franchise has, that the player has, that uh, the commercial sponsors have. Great. You know, everybody's made a great big investment in, in the first place in, in KD – and his success, and then by extension, OKC's, uh, you know, it's window, right? You've, you've done a lot of treatment on, on teams having windows. This is yes. definitely OKC's window, and there's definitely a concern that that window could be closing. So there's, there is, a, you know, a lot of, of pressure for everybody on the one hand to, wanting, to be wanting to make the very best decision for the player, but on the other hand, also having that player play. And so we're in uh, an era where um, doctors are giving their very best advice and their very best you know, assessment of, of a player's fitness. The players themselves are, are having a role in their own fitness to jump out and play. And great. That, that's a great some guys idea. get it wrong. Yeah. All sounds great, except for the 40-year history we have with broken foots, broken feet. <laughs> Um, it's a bad history. When Doug Collins, who had a, a similar Jones fracture, I can't remember which part of his foot, but when this is all going on and he's saying, don't rush him back, I lost a year of my career. Um, there's just too many people that got rushed back. And they can say he didn't rush back, and they can say he was 100% and all that, but obviously he wasn't because his foot, he's now in his third surgery. And uh, I don't know, I, I just... I remember I was on a, a Grantland show. It was either the first one or the second one we did on the TV show. And we were trying to figure out if, if Oklahoma City was actually going to miss the playoffs. And at the time, I sketched out like this whole plan for here's where we think Westbrook's going to come back and here's where we think Durant's going to come back. And on the show, I said, 
and they won't bring Durant back till Christmas because there's no way they'll rush him back. They're too smart to do that. And then he came back, I think, right after Thanksgiving. And I don't know. I, I just don't know what's wrong with taking an extra month when we have so many foot horror stories. I don't care if it's uh, if the, his Jones fracture was slightly different than MJ's Jones fracture. Like, remember the Bulls took like they they held out Jordan for like sixty four games. With it was a little more serious, the foot injury, but. I, I, it just this really bothers me. I think I don't the think conundrum you put... is, you know, you don't know whether the player is is ready, right? The the medical science only takes you so far in terms of giving you the level of comfort and assurance that the player can go back and play and ready versus not ready. So D Rose took off a whole year, yeah, and came back ready, didn't he? Yeah, but he got body... hurt again. Here's the here's the difference though, he, like. Durant had a screw in his foot. Yeah. It wasn't like he broke his toe and it healed and then it looked like his toe again. Like he he went from having a foot that didn't have anything in it to a foot that had a screw in it. And I don't understand how I you know, when they say 6 to 8 weeks. Like to me that means let's wait 10 weeks. Let's wait 11 weeks. And maybe he hurts the foot anyway, maybe the surgery didn't go well, maybe they misdiagnosed something. But when you're talking about the reigning MVP, and one of the best five players of the last 10 years. Um, I don't understand why you're not cautious. And now no, I, you look at like Westbrook's Westbrook, uh, his, one of his surgeries last year, got a little wonky. Abaka, the knee surgery, he came back sooner than he w- was supposed to come back last year. This is a real pattern, you know? And, the, and I've read on the internet, like I read a great thread on Reddit about it, about should we start looking seriously at how Oklahoma city's handled this stuff? I don't have an opinion either way. I just know that in the moment it felt wrong. It felt like he was coming back too soon, and it felt like they weren't listening to 40 years of history. Well, you and I have no visibility whatsoever into what the players themselves are saying. We have no idea what KD himself was telling the team, telling the trainers, telling the doctors, and how he, what he showed them. In, in the time leading up to, you know, appearing back on the basketball court, how he performed. And I think, uh, and you know, look, uh, let me be clear. I, I never want to be a guy that looks like he's defending anything that OKC has done. But, you know, in this instance, they're, they're incented to protect him and to be cautious. And if the player himself is saying, I feel great, let me go, and the doctors are saying, he looks fine, let him go, and the only way to know whether or not that screw is going to be able to withstand the stress and duress of uh, playing in NBA games is for the player to go play in those NBA games, then I, I can't really criticize the outcome. I can't use the outcome to, to criticize the decision-making. I mean, that's a very good case. Um, the one thing I would say is I don't know if you can trust the player when it's somebody as competitive as Durant in a situation like they were in because they had such a bad first month and it really looked like they might miss the playoffs unless those guys didn't come back. Right. Westbrook's superhuman. He's, you know, like the freaking guy has a dent in his face and can go out a minute later and play, you know, it's just like, we can't even count him. But with Durant, I'm sure he felt real pressure. He's the leader of that team. He was watching what was happening. They were falling apart without him and he wanted to get back on the court because he he didn't want another season to slip away. 
And I, I don't know if that's the right kind of incentive because I, look, I then totally he's not agree. You're talking to, his to a guy who watched Robert Griffin the third, you know, essentially uh, have the, uh, the 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 Washington professional football franchise enable him to waste one of their seasons. Yeah, because he came back too soon because of, of this, you know, his inability to to process what was in his own best interest. Well, I think Robert Griffin's a really good example. Went back. I mean, this is the playoff game is a much worse example than this Durant thing because he went back in when he was hurt and they made it worse. Well, he and shouldn't then have they played back too soon. He shouldn't have played the first eight games the following season. No, but that's the thing. If if you're relying on the player to tell him how you, how he feels, and they're a competitive person, they're probably going to fudge the truth a little. They're probably going to. You know they're going to ignore signs that are there. They're going to they're going to convince themselves whatever reality they want to happen is the reality. And if I, I agree, but you, everybody, like I said, you know, uh, it's not like he was doing it in a vacuum. Folks were watching him, right? They watched him in practice. They watched how he moved. They were doing some form of stress test. You have to believe, you know, behind the scenes in the run up to him getting back on the court. I know, but it's wear and tear. And it's feet. And you're talking about somebody who's 6'11". And his foot might feel fine. And five minutes later, he might step, he might land on somebody's foot or whatever. I, I just don't see the upside. Like, why not just keep him out? Yeah. Or, I, why, I, or why not get the more complicated surgery? Because this bone graft surgery that they did, or that they're doing now, surgery number three, why wasn't that the initial surgery? Well, you should have you know somebody with with some some hoops doctor in the background to uh, yeah. to to give you you know a breakdown of that. Look, but. I'm not professing to be an expert on any of this. I just <laughs> felt in the moment that they that they didn't seem like they were being careful enough. And well, if it was I, my I team, I would have freaked out. Yeah, I hate it too. And and we were ourselves having conversations saying you know. It would be fine if they kept him out until the all-star break, as far as I'm personally concerned. Right. Yeah. Why not? Exactly. You have to let that, those, the, the, the feet heal. That's the 40 years. Uh, that's what, that's the advice coach was giving, right? And, and you coach and I. Had a coach last year. Coach's son last year, too. Chris yeah. Collins. We it's just, the same, we just, same situation. Came back too soon. Yeah. Well, so what we root for now is he takes, he, everybody's learned a lesson. He'll take the six months and not the four months. The rehab will go great. He'll come back 100%. And next season's going to be a great season for him. Yeah. Right in time to come to Washington. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> I don't. Your your case got hurt there with the GQ, that that, that GQ feature that Zach Barron wrote. Where uh, it sounds like it'd be too much of a hassle for him to come back to Washington. Oh no! No way! Not possible. Oh, we you were talking very about this. Free. We were talking back quickly to what we were talking about, New York destination. Yeah. Um, he, here's where I stand on the whole destination thing because I really don't think it's that important anymore. These guys, they're on the road for basically from October through April, May, or June, depending on when they get knocked out of the playoffs. Yeah. They're traveling the whole time. They're barely home. It's not like they're – Coaching the coaching their uh, nephew's JV football game on Wednesdays, like they they're not home, they're living out of a suitcase, and if they're home, they're home for maybe a week. You might get two times a year where you're home for a week. 
And when the season ends, they all go to one of the following places. They go to California, they go to Las Vegas, or they go to Florida. And that's where they go. Like half half of the NBA stars that you know live in L.A. during the summer. I, I've been hearing this. I yeah. had no idea. So if you're Anthony Davis, like, oh, I want to be in a bigger market. Like, why? You're going to be famous wherever you go. Kevin Durant is one of the three most famous players in the league. Westbrook, I would argue, is the most popular player in the league right now. It, it just in terms of, like, oh, actually, Curry is. I think Westbrook's one of the he, Westbrook's in the top five at least, but it doesn't matter where these guys play. It doesn't matter that Curry's in Golden State. It doesn't matter that Durant and Westbrook are in Oklahoma City. These guys are global. So who cares? Yeah, I think more than anything, it's it's being with franchises that are willing to go all in as often as possible to try and create winning teams. And, so and, you just and agree New York with me. and LA both have those reputations. New York has not been as, as successful over no, the last No, you, you just made years. my point. I win. You made my point. <laughs> I, These I, players I, want to go where they can win. We do not have any evidence the Knicks can win. 49 games a couple years ago. You know, I think the Dragic thing, you know who's the secret alpha dog of this whole thing is Miami. Look at that, yeah. how that Dragic thing played out. It's not even a secret, really. They're, they, yeah. they're always, Pat, as long as Pat Riley is alive, they're alpha dogs. I was figuring this out. So you go back to the mid-90s, right? They get Alonzo Mourning and they get Tim Hardaway. And then they got, uh, in, the, in 2000, I think they got Eddie Jones and Brian Grant, the two biggest free agents. Everyone thought they are going to Chicago or wherever, and, they, and Miami gets them. Then 04, they get Shaq. They got Shaq. 2010, they get LeBron and Bosh. They get LeBron to leave his hometown to play for them. Yeah. And then... This year, they keep Bosh, who's going to go to Houston, where he would have been the favorite to win the title. They keep Bosh. Then they get Dragic. Like, Miami is the alpha dog. Pat Riley is the Ma- Ma- Machiavelli-, Machiavelli boss. I can't even get it out. That's Pat Riley. That's Riley. Pat- Guess what? I'm signing with Pat Riley in six months. <laughs> Make me an offer, Pat you Riley. Have a contract. You have a contract that's coming up. Yeah, I want Miami. To be the Miami, hey, mafia. Miami. Look, I support it. By the way, Florida has no state tasks. No, no, no state tax, and yeah. you in Miami means a lot of trips down south for the house. I want to. I'm going to runheat.com and be the sideline reporter for their games. I'm in. <laughs> Make me an offer. <laughs> but uh, no, but I think I, we always say, "Oh, Lakers, Knicks." Like, no, it's Miami is the team that everybody looks at, and I think the Lakers still have real sway. And and I think what what nobody wants to admit is is really nobody wanted to play with Kobe the last couple of years. It's, it's been an it. open secret, right? Well, look, they had they entered the season with Kobe, Dwight Howard, and Steve Nash, and the idea was, you know, that was going to be the next four years. And, the, and at the time, it was not a bad idea. It wasn't a bad plan. Right. And Dwight Howard fled, and Steve Nash faked a back injury the last two years, so he didn't have to hang out with Kobe <laughs> Bryant. I know for a nice. fact. He told me. He told me at dinner. He faked this whole thing. No, he didn't. I'm kidding. Uh, but I think, I think, uh, I think the Lakers are always going to have a little extra because the Lakers have a track record of over and over again being able to land big. They big, do. Big they guys. reload successfully quickly. Hey, you know what I was thinking? Somebody sent me a great email about this. I apologize that I'm not giving you the proper recognition person who sent me this. Let's they, the Laker fans always talk about. Oh, if we had gotten Chris Paul, what a great thing that would be. Um, are we sure Kobe, Dwight Howard, and Chris Paul would have been a winning threesome? 
That just sounds like a personality quagmire. Those three guys would have gotten along. Are we sure? Are we sure those three guys get along? Look, I know that the point of the book of basketball was chemistry, but there is a a symbiotic relationship between chemistry and, and, and success in the sense that, like, everybody will give something a try if it's if it seems like it's going to produce W's, right? I think right. everybody would have sublimated a little bit to figure out whether or not that thing was going to work. They would have given it 20, 25 games. And, and CP3 is, is, is so such a dog. He's so good. He's such a little really D-dog. I mean, his defense is so good, even at this stage of his career. I, I really think that would have been an interesting uh, experiment. I really think that that could have worked. I, I'm not prepared to say it was going to be a failure. All right, let's take those guys one at a time. Would you have wanted to play with Kobe Bryant in the later latter stage of his career? This is a different argument altogether. No, just a, yes or no question. Yes or no. <laughs> uh, the answer, without a doubt, is no. Okay. I'd like to would, touch the basketball. Would you have wanted to play with Dwight Howard at any point over the last four years? I wouldn't. Well, I was going to make that. That would have been a dumb joke. Um, was it about his kids? <laughs> oh, okay, maybe, maybe not. I'm leaving that one alone. Okay, good. I look, Dwight. Dwight Howard's a rim protector. I could, I could see myself playing with him. Yes, I have no problem with Dwight Howard. Really? Okay. He likes Grantland, apparently. He doesn't uh, need touches either. By the way, it's been demonstrated. You would have loved to have played with Chris Paul in certain ways. Um, would you have wanted to be his teammate? Would you want to be yelled at by him? I think it's worth it. He, all he does is, is drag teams to 55 wins. Now, the playoff success is a different story, right? This playoff yeah. record is not exemplary as a team leader. But Mem- you okay. never have any question about, you know, is he motivated to win? Is he trying to get W's? Remember in college, Sean O'Neill, who was the best, who was the best pickup point guard we had in college. Yeah, um, and everybody loved being on his team. If you're on his team, you just ran and you need to get the ball, and it would just be a really happy experience. I wonder if it's I. I don't know if it's like that to play with Chris Paul. I think you're a pawn in Chris Paul's game. It's because Chris Paul's like, we're going to do what I want to do at all times, and you're going to follow my instructions, and if you do, it's going to turn out well for you, but don't just do what I what I tell you to do. No? So winning, winning 50 games every year that way is kind of worth it, isn't it? Yeah, but I mean, I, I would, I'm saying, I think the way people talk about Nash, I think I just would have been, imagine how much fun it would have been to play with Nash from like 04 to 2010. Yeah, like what sure. better life experience and basketball experience could there have been? Amazing, just a, just an amazing run, and so that's the that's it's always a bonus to play with somebody who's a fierce dog of a competitor and also a nice person. But they they're not they're not required, you know. Christian Leitner dragged Bobby Hurley to heights that Bobby Hurley on his own probably would never would have achieved. We just learned from that great thirty for thirty. Oh, thanks for the puck. That was really nice of you. I actually think Chris. I, I, I thought like that was Chris. super interesting that Leitner was a dick, but yeah. his dickness was important to that team's overall success. You know, it wasn't represented enough in that thirty for thirty, but we all marked out for that Duke team before it became fashionable to not like them. 
Um, I remember being in a bar. What was that terrible bar in Worcester that we were all time out? Watching oh, time that, out, yeah. Watching that Duke UNLV comeback, or like when UNLV was supposed to just go back to back and do yeah. the Hoosiers on them. And let me tell you something: there was nobody rooting for UNLV in that in that two hundred person bar. <laughs> I mean, I think they eventually became boys. You and I both loved the Fab Five. We loved Loyola Marymount, and we loved the Fab Five. I loved UNLV too. Yeah, we did. I loved well, Arkansas with Todd Day. You you did love the forty minutes of hell. I sure did. You were in early in all the controversial teams. Um, wait, what were we just talking about? Oh, uh, Chris Paul. So I don't know. I I think he'd be fun to have dinner with on road trips, and I think you're a pawn in his game. Is Maybe my, is so. my takeaway. I don't know how that works, but the point is, I don't know how that works with Kobe and Dwight. I think sure. Dwight would have been fine with it. He just would have ordered Dwight around and told Dwight where to go and whatever. But I just can't imagine him and Kobe playing together after watching Chris for four years. Well, they did. How many? Didn't they play together in at least on at least one Olympic team and maybe two world teams? <sighs> Does that count, though? Like, Kevin Love played crunch time for us at the five in the 2012 gold medal game. I mean, it you know. counts in the sense that, that they were the various guys willing to give up aspects of their, their game for overall team success. Chris Paul single-handedly willed uh, the U.S. To, a, to that victory over Spain, right? Wasn't that Chris Paul? He made a couple of big plays down the stretch. Those were two of the great lost moments in American basketball that nobody ever talks about or thinks about was in 2008 – the team was ready to roll over and, and Kobe stepped up. And then in 2012, there was like a two-minute stretch there where I honestly felt like we were about to lose the game. Me too. They couldn't get LeBron back in. It just was – Marcus Gasol finally had come back in with after having foul trouble and it just felt like it was heading in the wrong place. And then LeBron and CP basically kind of saved it was my recollection. All right, um, two minutes here. You get two minutes. I'm going to time it. Um, Randy Whitman, just go. Oh, I, I only need 30 seconds. It's, it's dead man walking. The franchise has quit on him. The team has quit on him. And, you know, I, honestly, it was a fair and best-case scenario for him and the team to reward him at, you know, in, in the offseason for delivering what he was asked to deliver, which is, to take a, a, a franchise that was more abundant three years ago and bring some professionalism and, and, you know, sort of mine the store while they rebuilt and brought some talent in. And they uh, over-exceeded expectations, in the, you know, through the playoffs of, of last year. So they rewarded him with, the news stories say, a guaranteed contract of uh, several million dollars. And it turns out that he's not up to the task of taking – a team that is a playoff-ready team and uh, bringing them uh, up to a whole nother level, which was, you know, we're supposed to be having a conversation about potential Eastern Conference uh, final contender. They're not that. Yeah. And he wasn't up to that task. And, you know, we had this, uh, this, this uh, you know, complete this apparition, uh, this, this phantasm of the early season that was entirely attributable to two things, a schedule that was perhaps the most favorable schedule in the whole of uh, league NBA through uh, New Year's, and secondly, a complete uh, 
over-accomplishment on long two-pointers that, you know, you've, you've seen appropriately regress through the latter half of the season. And so, look, it was, you know, they are who they are. He is who he is. It will be neat to see what a new coach is capable of next season. I like that you're already talking about him in the past tense. You're not even in the playoffs yet. In the, in the Wizards slash Bullets, never in the playoffs, and you should be so much happier, and yet you're resigned. It's like you're driving off a cliff. We're off the cliff. We, we, we've already crashed. When, wow. when the news story begins uh, with, you know, Wall and Whitman baffled by, by Wiz loss, there's nothing baffling about it. The, the, the car has crashed. We're, the well, best case scenario we emailing... is the, the crazy thing is we're, we're they're most likely going to play a Toronto franchise that is in the, in the same disarray that, that, that shares one interesting, curious, common trait. Yeah. Right? What the fact that they ended up keeping their coach, and maybe they shouldn't have. That, that would be the that, that would be the trait I'm describing. Well, and also Toronto decided for whatever reason not to not to make a trade at the deadline, which I thought was strange. They had yeah, expiring they, contracts and they had holes, and they just decided that they kind of punted. I don't, I don't think Masai believes in this team. One um, of those one of those two teams is going to win a first round playoff series. Well, you. You have it. It's not out of the realm of possibility that it's Chicago in the four and Washington in the five. So if that comes to pass, I really like Washington's chances because yeah, because you match up well with them for whatever reason. Yeah, and and uh, there is a singularity of purpose, not just the matchups, but the players genuinely regarded as a rivalry. You see out yeah. of Nene, and you see out of Paul Pierce an intensity that is. Well, I was going to say it wakes up Nene. It does. Anything where Nene is awake is good for you. He's been asleep for a little while. Well, you know, I, I've been watching a little more Wizards than I would normally watch because I love Paul Pierce. And, yeah. uh, God, Whitman. I mean, the worst coaches in the league this year, just my personal opinion, um, Byron Scott and Derek Fisher. Byron Scott's been incredible. Uh, Derek Fisher. Uh, both of those guys have gotten free passes because they don't have the talent. But if you actually watch the games, like they're they've been really bad. Uh, Monty Williams is one for the ages in New Orleans. Just one, a possible thirty for thirty in the making. And then uh, and then Whitman. I think those are that's Mount Rushmore for this year for for uh, shaky NBA coaches. But Whitman on Friday night, you're playing Charlotte. And I think the the best thing about Whitman is he figures out a way to drag the other coach down to his level. Like the other coach is playing chess, but all of a sudden he's playing checkers and he doesn't even realize it, and he's doing well, checkers moves. I did email like, you. I said, you know, I'm not sure if you're aware there was a there was a Mensa meeting in in DC <laughs> Friday night between Clifford and 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 Whitman. Yeah, but Steve Clifford's not bad. In in that game, he was atrocious. But he was awful. It's, Whitman has this weird ability to suck people into his coaching vortex. <laughs> I love it. They they're running. Charlotte's running this play for Mo Williams. It's like a handoff play, and Washington's just completely flustered by it. Every time, they're completely unprepared for the Mo Williams handoff play. And then on the flip side, Washington just has one guy dribbling at midcourt, either Beal or, or Wall, usually Wall. And the other four guys are just standing there, and the shot clock's just whittling down and whittling down. And then Gortat would run up and set somebody a pick. And it would be like this delayed high screen that the other team was waiting for for 16 seconds, and that was your offense. So and you neither don't of like, them could stop the other. You don't like the John Wall 
taking the one foot eighteen running eighteen footer away from the basket off the high screen that comes with six seconds left in the shot clock. That's not your your uh, no. best case scenario for efficient offense. I, it feels like Randy Whitman ran into Goldsberry in Austin and asked him, "What's the worst shot I can take in in a game, especially late?" And Goldsberry said. Well, you know, it's tough. There's so many options. But my guess would be a running floater from the foul line with the player going full speed. That's a terrible shot. It could lead to a charge. The the percentages are low. Really nothing good could happen. And Whitman's like, done. That's our offense. Well, I want to say one thing on the Mo Williams handoff. That is my single biggest frustration with this team. That 1A is what you just described, which is long two-pointers in general, which is something – that Whitman, uh, at least according to the news stories, who knows, but the news stories, even early in the season, say that every every player on the Washington professional basketball team has the green light to shoot the open shots. So guess what? You know, in this modern era, the open shot is an 18-footer, so Washington takes those relentlessly. But number yeah. one biggest pet peeve for me is that, that play you're describing with Mo Williams. I can't tell you how many guards this season, guards of varying level skills and abilities, have had their season-high best performance this season against Washington because of the mismanagement of the pick-and-roll. It's been yeah. in, in, I mean, impossibly frustrating to watch. Well, I, I'll tell you, I was there with Doc Rivers before Thibodeau showed up. And Thibodeau showed up. We had Thibodeau show up, who's the most overqualified NBA assistant coach in the history of basketball. And then you had... Kevin Garnett showed up, who is probably the best rim protector of that entire generation, right? Is there better? Maybe Matumbo? Who would you rather at anchoring your defense than Kevin Garnett from, like, 1998 to 2008? KG was a little more mobile than Matumbo. I love KG. Okay, so those two guys show up, and suddenly the Celtics know what to do on defense. But um, watching the Celtics try to defend the pick-and-roll pre-Thibodeau, I totally empathize. They had no plan. When your team has no plan defensively and the same thing is happening over and over again, it's just helpless. It's anyway, helpless. we went we went eight minutes on Washington. We were supposed to only go two. <laughs> and I said I was going to only need 30 seconds. Uh, quickly, MVP, Curry? Mine's still Harden. I've been on wow. Harden all you, season long. Golden State's going to win 69 games? You're not going to give it to Curry? Yeah, because I, Golden State is – he is the best player on, on uh, a team that runs – you know, 10 or 11 deep. What, what does Houston have besides Harden? I'm with you. He, Harden's probably more valuable to the day-to-day being of that team. But I, I've said this before. I'm going to say it again. I think when you're having a historically great season, which is what the Warriors are having, you have to recalibrate. Okay. okay. I, I, if, I'm not, if the I Warriors any... were 54 and 19 right now, I would agree with you, but if they're going to go 68 and 14 and they're going to have a plus 11 point differential and every game they play is over in the third quarter. You'll never like, get me to, we knock, have to reward that. You'll never get me to knock Steph Curry. I love everything about him. I love everything about uh, Golden State this season. Um, I just would vote for James Harden for MVP this year. That's all. I thought I would have been with you. I, I, in fact, when I did Trade Value Part 3, I, I had the slight edge to Harden, but left the door open for, for something magical to happen with the end of the Warriors season. They've won nine straight. And what makes this nine-game nine winning streak special, in my opinion, is that they have nothing to play for. They've clinched everything. They have a five-game lead on Atlanta. They have a ten-game lead on Houston. 
this is usually when teams kind of lose focus and start like they're still killing people. Well, that's what, that's where Steve Kerr comes in. You got to yes. give it up for Steve Kerr, the guy who played on the seventy-two win team, right? And he's your right? coach of the year. Yeah, deserves it. And Draymond's, I think, defensive player of the year. I think he has to be. Um, so that's that's part of why I wouldn't give it to Curry, the MVP. I mean, nobody gets to the free throw. The James Harden getting to the free throw line this season has been so incredible to me. Well, here's a, here's a couple more Warrior stats: thirty-four and two at home. So they're Rivals five more home wins away from thirty-nine and two. Has only happened a couple times. I think the Cavs are the last team that did it. Okay. Um, in like oh eight, oh nine, or oh nine, two thousand ten, one of those. But you go thirty-nine and two at home. The the ninety-five Magic went nine went thirty-nine and two at home. By the way, we have a monster. Uh, you just better get. You better save like the greatest bathroom trip you're going to make in 2015 for this oral history we have of the uh, of the Shaq Penny Magic that's coming out from Abrams. Oh, I can't wait! When is it coming uh, out? Next week. I'm going to start eating beans now. You should eat beans. You should have um, yeah, whatever you need to do. Miss a lot more of fiber. a lot of roughage, kale. Get ready. Maybe send your family out. Send send your wife and child to see Cinderella or home. Send them home. Out. Get everyone out of the house. Get yeah. some candles going and just really dive into this 35-minute uh, epic Abrams thing. Yeah. Um, all right. So then uh, rookie of the year. Wiggins? Is it still Wiggins? Stauskas? Yeah. Stauskas? No. <laughs> Stauskas? Stauskas? Uh, it's Stauskas? Stauskas. I'm not good at it. I think Alfred Payton's lurking a little. Well, he, they are, he's they come are on. Really they, not... They've gotten the best-case scenario out of him. He's not the rookie of the year, but, you know, good for them and good for him for turning the corner and showing everybody, you know, what why he was selected so high. You talking about Wiggins or Payton? Payton. Yeah, I think he's number two. I, I can't vote for him after... Um, not voting for Michael Carter Williams last year under under semi similar circumstances. Now yeah. Minnesota's not winning either. Um, but I, I think Wiggins just in general has is it's felt like it's a little more important. There's some Meritage Rookie of the Year buzz because he's had such a strong second half of the season, which is interesting. He, he's really carried them. He's impressed me. I, I like his game a lot. Yeah, if they if he has a strong last two weeks, it's the like I think he's lurking a little bit. Strong game, strong beard. The problem with him is like, isn't he like twenty seven? He's like twenty five. He's somewhere between twenty five and twenty seven, right? Yeah, he's 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 one, like a fake rookie. That age range. He's not really a rookie. No, I agree. Not really a rookie. Um, and then who do you have for who do you have for your uh, your conference finalists? Uh, now, my conference finalists. We're talking about the guys that are the, the four teams, or or just two teams. Give me two teams in each conference. The two teams that'll be there: Cleveland and uh, Atlanta, and Golden State and San Antonio. Wow! So you went chalk, basically. Well, uh, I, San Antonio is not quite chalk yet. Uh, they're still working their way back up, but um, the East. I, I just can't have I I can't come up with a scenario where Atlanta loses. Even yeah, and with, I think the, Atlanta's doing the best thing that they can do right now for our gambling. Um, they're throwing people off their scent a little bit because they had clinched the one seed basically. Yeah, 
and now um, they're not going to finish that strong. They also they miss Mike Scott. I thought I, I, they're one of those teams that everyone has to be there. It's like one of those ensemble movies where you need just you need all the actors in the movie. You can't like just pull out Mike Scott. Um, but I think when playoff time comes around. And Cleveland's just going one-on-one the whole time. And Atlanta's playing team basketball. Um, I'm really hoping that Atlanta is like plus 300 in that series. I have no problem backing them financially. That's, that's interesting. We'll have to look at that. Yeah, we'll have to look at Discussed that. long and hard. I think people just assume Cleveland is going to be in there. And I think people are right. People should Well, they probably Cleveland are because be they're going to have the best two players in any series in the East unless they play Miami. But – um. You know, it's weird, though, because I don't understand what happened in Memphis. And I admit I haven't seen enough of them to have a, a really fully educated opinion on it. But um, they tailed off. I thought they were going to be right there. I thought we were going to have – I thought they were going to be in the San Antonio spot. I knew San, I had a place penciled in for San Antonio in case, any, in case they started becoming San Antonio. But – you mean thirteen and three since the end of February? Yeah, they're they're back. They're, yeah. Parker showed up, and Kawhi's been Kawhi for about two months, and and they, and they look like San Antonio again. But I, like Gasol has dropped off for Memphis. Um, Jeff Green's been hit or miss, which hasn't been a surprise. But they're just they're getting blown out of games, which worries me against yeah, games they, against they, good teams. They had three games in a row against uh, teams that matter and got whooped in all of them. Yeah, I don't like that. Me That's a bad sign. Me too. Um, that would that was happening to, I forget, maybe the Clippers a couple years ago. But yeah, these their last three, they got killed by Cleveland, Golden State, and San Antonio. Double figures each game. Yeah. And not um, even competitive, it seems. And I don't know what is going 20. on behind the scenes either. I, I don't know if there's a critical injury somebody's um, playing but hurt. I, you know, some, there's something going on. So you go back to you go back to uh, February 11th. Oklahoma City beat them by 16. Mm-hmm. Clippers beat them by 18. Um, Washington beat them by 20. Cleveland beat them by 22. Golden State beat them by 23, and San Antonio beat them by 14. That's just in the last six weeks. That's a bad sign. Not a good run. Yeah, I don't. I don't, I don't totally understand it. So. Um, Golden State San Antonio would be incredible. And Cleveland anyone is going to be really fun. Cleveland's fun. Remember when Cleveland wasn't fun to watch for two months? Now they're really fun to watch. That's uh, why you have to let these things, you know, give them time to gel. All right, give me the one trades super. The Cleveland made were, were spectacular. Yeah, I listen, I, I'm going to apologize yet again. I made fun of the Mozgov trade. Mozgov's been good for them. Did not it expect changed it. changed their season. Yeah, I don't I – don't, Totally understand it, and I don't know if he was that much of a factor why he wasn't better on Denver. Um, well, but, it can't hurt that he and David Blatt had a relationship, right? They, yeah. they speak the same language, and immediately it was seamless, his integration into that team. Give me a, give me a dark horse. I know it's not going to be Dallas. It, it is not going to be Dallas. I, I, I hate – I like the Clippers. I keep – I been doing this for a couple of years now. I I still like them. I still think that CP3 uh, has it in them um, and is just going to, at some point in time, um, you know, get over the hump. I like that they're playing well right now. They've won seven straight. 
they murdered the Celtics last night. Um, they also did really well in that time that Blake was out. Like maybe yeah. found an identity, and him coming back with them has been good. Yeah, it became Chris's team again. I think Blake played so well last year. There was a little bit of ambiguity, and now there isn't. It's Chris. It's Chris Paul's team. So if they get, if they get the four seed, which I think is going to happen, I think they're going to jump Portland, and then they also have a chance maybe to climb to three. But if they're a four seed, you get to play Portland in round one. I want to do that if I'm the Clippers. And we like the Clippers Golden State uh, matchup, right? It's, there's all that chippiness in there. Yeah, it's very feisty. It's very it's and, be fun to watch. And I will say, Chris Paul goes right at Steph Curry. Yes, he does. That's just right at him. But I think uh, Golden State has a lot of way, a lot of guys to throw at Chris. That's true. And uh, and they'll get real physical with Blake. Um, that's a great. I mean, if that's a round two series, holy, it's lining up. How great would that it? be? It's lining up. And then you might have a. Uh, you're going to have – if San Antonio stays in the six, six spot, which if they keep winning, but they, but it's going to be San Antonio against either Houston or Memphis if it ended right now. that's Either of those is a great round one. But then yeah. f- followed by uh, – San Antonio would probably play – if Houston took care of business in round one, then San Antonio would probably play Houston in round two. That would be a great is one. an awesome series. Yeah. My theory in Houston is this. I think – People are going to beat the crap out of Harden in the playoffs. I think he's going to wear down. The way well, he plays. I, I, yeah. I didn't say Houston because we don't know what the story is with the Beverly injury. And yeah. Monte Junis, who's, who's pretty crucial to them, you know, underrated yeah. crucial, is hurt too. I just don't like their their uh, the injuries they have right now. I don't either. And Harden, to do that for 90 to 95 games, what he's doing, I, I I think it's just tough. I think that guy takes – he's like a running back. It's like when DeMarco Murray had, you know, 400 carries at the end of the regular season. I, I worry about that with him. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, this was good. This was productive. Thanks for taking time out of your Jamaican vacation. Did nothing Nothing made me happier. Best player ever from Jamaica? Um, I know the answer to this. Who is it? Patrick Ewing. Yes, he counts. A, yeah, he was born right. in Kingston. He counts. Yeah. Um, also from Jamaica, Malcolm Gladwell, or I guess his mom was from Jamaica. Oh, another great Jamaican. Yeah, hey, before we fun. go, yeah, thoughts, love, prayers to Craig Sager. Yes. Right. I back that one hundred percent. Okay. Good. Get well soon, Craig Sager. Get well soon, uh, Craig Sager. That's it for Bill. Don't lie. Please subscribe to us on iTunes. This is this will never be available as a BS report again. NBA talk only next week. Zach Lowe, our old friend. Uh, oh yeah. On Monday, Joe House, a pleasure as always. Enjoy the tournament. Bill, don't lie. <laughs>